I felt a few years ago as we were approaching the centenary that it would be nice to to mark the centenary in some appropriate way. And uh, living as I do um, outside the country now, I wasn't on the ground, as it were, to talk to performers and promoters and so forth in the same way as as I might otherwise have been able to do in, in, to encourage performances. And also coming, as I do from a background as a musicologist, um, my natural inclination was to look at the possibility of holding a conference which would enable a range of, both a range of scholars to come together and re-examine my father's music and indeed his wider impact on music in this country, uh, stretching all the way from his um, activities as a teacher, professor of music, member of the Arts Council, founder member of the Music Association of Ireland, and so on and so on, his compositions, of course, and also to include uh, reference to his early career as an artist. He died in 2000, so there are a growing number of people who won't have known him, um, who won't have been directly uh, influenced, if you like, by his presence in music, uh, that it's, it's a very good time, I think, for a re-examination, a reappraisal of his place in music, in 20th century music in Ireland. The aspect that uh, one can't get away from uh, was, as I've said before, the, 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 the range of activities he was involved in and the enthusiasm and energy he brought to those. I mean, it's, it's so true to say that he never undertook anything without 100, one might say 110% involvement, enthusiasm, um, and, and uh, I, I was going to say excitement, because he did. He always got excited, excited about anything he was doing, whether, whether it was composing, whether it was in the later part of his life, uh, his musicology, his research and writing about the history of music in Ireland and Dublin specifically. Uh, whatever he did, he just did it with such boundless enthusiasm um, that uh, for me, uh, growing up as his son, I mean, it, it's, it's perhaps difficult for me to stand back and assess that. Um, but I think a question that the conference will certainly highlight and I'm sure will arise in the roundtable discussion that we are concluding the conference with would it be possible nowadays to have somebody like him who is able to be involved in such a wide range of areas, whose upbringing exposed him uh, to a very wide uh, palette of influences, artistic and musical and social? You know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's arguable that, that he was kind of unique because of when he was, when he lived, uh, this, the, the, the state of the country emerging as it still was. I mean, when he, when he came back from his education in, uh, in England and a little bit in Germany too, when he came back to uh, Ireland at the beginning of the Second World War, when he curtailed his studies at the Royal College of Music in London because of the out outbreak of war, at that stage, the, um, the Irish Free State, as it then was, the independent country, was uh, less than two decades old. And was very consciously moulded under de Valera's constitution of a few years earlier um, as a Catholic country with a very distinct identity from the, from the British identity that had been so dominant. Uh, and yet he came from a Protestant urban 
uh, well-to-do business background. That's what his, his, his father and family were, were involved in business. And um, it was quite the normal thing for that class, that, 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 that class in Dublin at the time, to, as he was, to be educated in England. So he came back to Ireland, um, as he describes himself in his memoir, as uh, feeling like a piece of uh, flotsam, or is it jetsam, uh, washed, washed up after many years in the oceans of the world, washed up on his own native shore. Uh, and he, he felt a stranger in his own land. But at the same time, I think that also gave him the independence uh, to be able to be the individual that he was and to, you know, to strike out his own uh, path or forge his own career um, without a, uh, such a perhaps constricting range of assumptions that might have been the case uh, were uh, the position of Ireland, as I've described at the time, the social position of Ireland at the time, and his background and upbringing and so forth, were they not in the particular relationship they were? The argument could be made that had he been able to devo devote himself entirely to composition for argument's sake, I think he would have been a very different composer than he was. I mean, I, I get the sense, looking at his music, that uh, in some ways the most exciting period is from the mid-1940s up to perhaps the sort of later 1950s, thereabouts, when he is really... Um, forging his own individual musical language, uh, which is so distinctive. Um, I'm thinking of works like, well, the very, the, the perhaps best known of his through 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 the availability of recordings of some of his orchestral works, like the uh, the uh, In Memoriam Mahatma Gandhi of 1947, or the Megalithic Ritual Dances of the 19, uh, mid 1950s. Uh, his uh, first two string quartets. The first of 1948, if I have the right date on the top of my head, and the second one again from about ten years or so later, from the from the late 1950s. Um, works like these, I think, are extraordinarily exciting, um, interesting works. Uh, but I think one 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 could argue that if you compare those works, or particularly the later ones of those, the the uh, Second String Quartet, for example, or other orchestral and vocal works from the later 1950s, perhaps into the early 1960s. If you compare those with what he wrote 20 years later, 1980, the difference isn't that great, arguably. He'd, he'd found his musical language. Then by the 1960s, he was appointed Professor of Music in Trinity in 1964, no, 1962, 1962. And, um, you know, he became... That much more occupied, obviously, with the uh, uh, with 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 the uh, not so much the duties of that position, but with his wholehearted uh, endeavours, successful to sort of set up full time music courses, to to uh, develop the School of Music in Trinity, as he so successfully did. He was became involved in the Arts Council around about the same time, and so a lot of his time was devoted to areas other than composition, which became, I suppose you could almost say, in the classic mould of so many great composers, one thinks of somebody like Mahler composing in, in, his, in his summer holidays. Uh, to some extent, he was in a similar situation. Had he been able to, to, to devote his thought and um, uh, creative 
creative developments exclusively to composition, it might have gone a very different way, you know. One of the uh, background soundscapes of my life is the sound of him composing because he had his separate music room and if he was in there composing, we all knew not to disturb him. And his time was his own and sometimes he wouldn't be very keen to appear for lunch or supper because, you know, he was involved in his creative work and other times he'd want to make a break. And he composed, he, he, he would explore ideas, musical ideas, all that always on his beloved Berzendorf uh, piano. So the sound of, uh, of Brian uh, exploring musical ideas on his Berzendorf grand in, in his music room, in the background to whatever else we were doing in the home, if, if we were at home during school holidays, you know, during the daytime and so forth, was very, was very much... Uh, uh, very much the sort of background soundscape of my of my growing up. He became involved right from the beginning uh, as an oboist in the Dublin Orchestra Players, the, which is still going strong as an amateur orchestra, um, which had been founded in, I think it was 1940, 1940. And after a few years, when Havelock Nelson, who was conducting it, uh, left Dublin, uh, Brian took over the conducting of that. And I think on the one hand, um, was the opportunity that he was getting to play music, uh, which, of course, was not so... I mean, you know, it's hard for us to now, nowadays probably to imagine uh, the very difficult, uh, the very different musical world uh, and environment uh, in Dublin at the time. Um, it was also the opportunity to, to uh, engage other people in music, which was his, really his probably most underlying principle was to, to, to enthuse other people in music. As a teenager, he was very, uh, a very fine pianist. Um, when he was at school, this was boarding school in England, a rugby school, he performed the Greek Piano Concerto and Rachmaninoff II with the school orchestra. They must have had a pretty good school orchestra, let it be said, but that was that was the musical tradition in those sorts of schools at the time. Maybe it's still is, I have no idea. When he went to London to study at the Royal College of Music after he graduated from, from Cambridge, so at that stage he would have been in his early 20s, um, he was taking lessons, piano lessons, from a pupil of the great world-famous pianist uh, Solomon at the time. And on a number of occasions, the great man himself turned up to listen to him. And he found that whole experience so intimidating and the demands, he realized, that the demands of, um, uh, of uh, technical practice and so forth, that he would have to um, subject himself to if he were to pursue seriously to pursue a career as a professional pianist, which was an option he had been entertaining through his teenage years. He just found that so um, unpleasant. He just wasn't prepared to sacrifice his life uh, to that level of, of technical practice that sort of there and then he decided just he stopped uh, following that course he maintained a love for the piano, but, I mean, he he never really played the piano thereafter for his own enjoyment. I mean, he didn't sit down to relax by 
you know, playing Chopin, Beethoven or whatever. He never did that. And yet, if he, if he needed to play the piano, even when we were children growing up, you know, he'd, he'd accompany us on, a, on you know, when we, we were playing recorder or violin or whatever it was. Um, and I think in a way that fed into his interest and support of amateur music making, that music should be a pleasure. It should be something that you gain pleasure out of. And that if you have to subject yourself to, as he thought, to an undue level of, um, well, he would probably have said punishment, uh, practicing technically endlessly, that it just it wasn't worth the kettle. I think the main thing I would hope will come out of the centenary year is, you know, not okay. That's the hundred years we've done our we've done our um, our um, acknowledgement, our celebration of his life and work in its various um, facets. Uh, we can put him to bed now. Um, what I would like to hope is that um, you know he can be reassessed and can be looked at afresh um, by you know by the younger audience by the the younger composers and musicologists now you know beginning to make their mark um, and and his uh, influence or his place within the developments in Irish music you know can be uh, sort of um, assessed perhaps in a more uh, with with a little bit more long sight than, you know, at the time when he was alive. I mean, a few years after he died, um, Axel Klein and Gareth Cox uh, and Michael Taylor um, edited an excellent book uh, sort of assessing him, uh, just sort of summing him up. Uh, that was published as, uh, just a few years after he died. Uh, and that was very much reflecting somebody, the achievement of somebody who had just died a few years ago, so the sort of resonance of his life and and his work was still vibrating, if you like, in the musical atmosphere. But now we are, um, what, 15 years further down the line, and, um, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily have the same presence, which means, I think, he can be evaluated more, um, more objectively. 